Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this week is week number two of our Valentine's Day themed play readings. Our selection this week is Jane's Second Date from playwright Catherine Collar. Catherine hails from Alberta, Canada, and is a winner of numerous awards, such as the Grand Prize in the Alberta Playwriting Competition 2013. And as part of the Alberta Playwrights Network, she's been awarded numerous accolades, including the Best Motivational Work in the Getting Out Staying Safe 2008 contest for her play Rosie, and the National Screenwriting Award for her work Cowboy Boots. Catherine teaches in the Department of English and Film Studies at the University of Alberta. Her website is www.catherinecollar.ca. Our play begins in a speed-dating cafe in a large urban center. The characters are Simplicio, played by Ugo Montalato, and Jane, by Claire Roberson. I know how you feel. That's impossible. Families can put a lot of pressure on you. Enough to strangle a person. My family is also desperate for me to be happy. They spend all their free time trying to find me dates, inviting me here and there, as if they have nothing else to do. You became their hobby, their cause. They think I'll drink too much. Do you? No. Or work too much. I do that. Or eat too much. Ditto there. But not tonight. They wanted to give me a plate of french fries. That would be like feeding grease to a first-time sailor. So you've never been here before either? Oh. No. I wonder how many dates we must endure in one evening. They said eight. Eight times eight. 64 minutes of madness. So why did you agree to come? I didn't. My family brought me here. As a surprise. I was furious. They refused to let me go. They're all waiting outside. I can't leave. There must be a back door. Why do you want to help me? They're so unhappy. You're my first date since my parents paid my cousin Arnold to be my escort at high school graduation. I'm not unhappy because of you. It's them, the ones who brought me here. They make me want to scream. If I were more attractive, you'd not be so unhappy. If you were more attractive, I would probably be paralyzed with fear. Attractive women scare me. Really? Yes. You, I can talk to. I appreciate that. What's your name? Jane. I like that. What's yours? Simplicio. So you can see that I like a name like Jane. (laughs) What do your friends call you? Simplicio. There's no other way. I guess not. Your name says a lot about you. So does yours. What does it say, Simplicio? It says that you like to be direct and honest and clear. You don't like french fries. 
but you like the big potato. Right. So, what did you have for dinner? I was at my cousin's, so we had a big meal. Lots of tapas, finger food, lots of beer. This is my dessert, they said. Oh. Well, as I said, I can't eat a thing when I'm meeting new people. It makes you nervous. Men make me nervous. All men? Most men. So will you give out your phone number to the men you meet tonight? <laughs> Never. Why do this then? My girlfriend's at work. They dared me. They double dared me. And they promised never to try to set me up again. So I came. So you do not really want to meet a man? I don't think it will happen. You met me, we exchanged names. They could be false to protect ourselves. So you do not trust me? Not very much. I hear all the news at coffee from my girlfriends, all the stuff they have to put up with, and I think, why? Yes, why? Why is it? They want us to have the same agonies, yes? I think so. They're just a little bit jealous of our freedom. That is for sure. They want to experience that with us. That's why my cousins are outside, looking in, trying to get a glimpse of you. Oh, no. Do not worry, I'm blocking their view. They, they do not deserve to see. Thank you, Simplicio. I wouldn't be able to speak if I knew I was being watched. Now you said there was a back door? There must be. For delivery trucks. Through the kitchen? Shall I risk it? You could pretend you were using the washroom. But if I get up, they'll see you. I'll be alright. I'll just have to wait for my next date. I could get up at the interval when they ring the bell to move. The women move, not the men. I think it's so that he can see what she looks like when she walks. And then I'll get up when you get up. Okay. Then I can still talk to you while we have the time. I'd like that. I'm not unhappy talking to you, Jane. That gives me some hope. You see, my first date turned out to be a disaster. I was going to pretend to get up and go to the washroom and then go through the kitchen and out the back door. I had it all planned and I know exactly where the door is. But why not use the front door? Because my girlfriends are out there with your cousins. Can they see me? Only your back. When I get up, they'll see me. Yes. My cousins are probably flirting with them. <laughs> or the other way around. These are very flirtatious women, and they have disastrous relationships. I fail to understand that. My parents did not make each other unhappy. They lived to make the other smile. Are they still living? Only my mother. She misses my father every single day. I'd like to ask her what their secret was. Would you? It's rare to find that kind of contentment, that kind of commitment. 
even more rare to find someone who recognizes it. I've yearned for it. But now I realize that's not for me. I'd still like to ask her. I'd still like to know in case I get a chance in another life. Why is it not for you? So I'll probably never meet my one and only. Surely not here in this dating sandpit. But you met me. You know what I want. You want to get out the back door. It's almost time. The hostess is checking her watch. They're getting ready to ring the bell. Will you come with me? To the back door? Yes. You know the way. But what if I would like to go out the back door too? If you go out the back door too, then you and I could go for a walk. There's a park nearby. We could get a gelato later. I know a good place. It would be a real date then. Yes. The cousins and the girlfriends would be proud. We can give them all the credit they want. They need it. They are starved for excitement. Will you walk with me? Yes, Simplicio. I will walk with you. You lead the way. And that was Jane's second date by playwright Catherine Kohler. The roles were played by Claire Roberson as Jane and Ugo Montalato as Simplicio. Catherine was kind enough to give us some time and talk to us. And of course, the first question I had to ask her was, oh my gosh, have you ever been a part of these multiple dating cafe, ring the bell, run to the next kind of person things? No, I've never gone to a dating cafe. And it seems to me something that is so weird, yet um, rich dramatically. I, I guess the closest I've ever come to this is um, the pitch session, right? Where you take your movie idea from one table to another and try to interest a producer. And I found that absolutely terrifying. And I could only imagine what it would be like to go to a dating cafe looking for a life partner. <laughs> so no, it's never happened to me, but uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen in my imagination. <laughs> well, I think more things happen in our imagination than Horatio is ready to become aware of. Um, I've never been to one of these things myself, uh, but I have heard of them. And the idea of going from table to table trying to literally pitch yourself seems absolutely terrifying. Where, where did you get your, uh, your research for this? Well, I, I knew that they were timed. I knew that you only had sort of, you know, seven or eight minutes with each person. So I thought, what a great dramatic situation. They're stuck there. For that amount of time, they don't want to be there. How are they going to get out of it? And uh, in the end, they uh, devise a way to both get out and perhaps start something that might go somewhere. So it's, it's, it surprises them, and I, I hope it surprises the audience as well. I do too. It's going to be interesting to see their response to this one. Um, as far as the characters go, you've chosen two very agreeable, extremely likable characters. Are these people that you know? Uh, 
I, I can't say that I know either of them. Um, I do have um, a niece who was about that age, who was going through this process of, you know, dating and she was having some trouble. And I was, I was thinking of her, I was thinking of, you know, what must it be like? So for Jane, I think I have kind of an idea of who, who she is. Uh, for Samplicio, I just invented someone I thought could be quite romantic, yet um, restrained in his own way, and quite unlike his his cousins, his family. He's he's a, a rebel in a way. Interesting. So sort of going, yeah. Sort of going against his Latin um, um, nature, you know. True. So yeah. it's like an anti Don Juan, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you gave him such an interesting name too. I've I've never run across anybody named that before. How, how where well, did that come from? I you know names are really important to me. I I need to have the names of my characters fairly soon in, and I don't hesitate to invent them. So there may be no such name, but I do find among. Um, uh, the sort of Latin um, flavored um, nations that the the amount of invention is way way more than than we would find say in um, uh, European cultures. So I I just went with that. Why not? Why not? <laughs> um, oh God! I just had another question and it just went straight out of my head. That's what I get for not writing these things down. Let's. Um, Let's t talk about the play just a little bit more here. Uh, is this your first radio play? No. In fact, I started writing about, oh, I hate to say how long ago. But when I first started, um, I wrote something for the stage, and I showed it to a director, and he said to me, you know, you really have an ear. You should really consider writing for radio. And so I took that advice. I'm the kind of person who, when I meet people who have something um, sincere to say about my work, I, I act on it. So I, I decided, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do some radio writing. I'll see how that feels. And it felt very comfortable to me. I loved just hearing the voices and allowing the imagination to take over. I loved the um, element of silence that you can have in radio that sometimes feels weird on stage, but in radio, it really works. Uh, so I wrote um, three, three radio dramas for CBC Radio here in Canada. And sometimes, uh, and let's see, since that time, I've been kind of concentrating on full-length work. Okay. And one of the... Um, Techniques I use, because I do tra travel between genres, between screen and radio and stage and opera and ballet, the bready. One of the tricks I use is when I'm having trouble with a stage play, I take a couple of weeks and I just rewrite it as a radio play. And it helps me get the voice of the characters better. I don't know what it does, but it's just one of my techniques. So I have a lot of unproduced radio dramas hmm. in my in my drawers that are are kind of uh, exercises for me. Interesting, because all right, theater is as we know such a visual medium. 
and you go to the theater to see people actually playing somebody else on stage and recreating or creating this alternate reality that we immediately supposedly buy into. I assume that once we walk into the theater, that's, that's our admission that we're ready to buy into whatever it is people are selling. But to take away the visual and to go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago, which I found interesting, I hadn't thought about this before, the silences. Okay, now, yeah. you're write, now you're writing for no visual and you are letting the actual words and the actors who are translating those words create everything without being seen. It's like trying to picture the announcer on the radio, what they look like, okay? Um, and for me, it's, it's completely <laughs> never the same. They always look radically different. But when you talk about the silences... At least on stage, when we've got people on stage, we can see what they're doing. We, we have that filled in. But on a radio, what do we have? What we have is the imagination of the listener. That's where the maximum visuals reside, I think. And, of course, for every single person, it will be different, which is the beauty of any kind of response to any art form. But yeah, radio, because it deals with um, text, you know, spoken language, sound effects, music, and silence, um, it has the ability, I think, to take you the farthest, uh, anyway, the farthest you can go. you can change scenes in radio like you can't on stage. You can go from here to there in a heartbeat. Uh, so I find that very seductive about radio. And I'd, I'd love to do more because I, I love the form. Do you think there's a future for radio plays? It's, they haven't been very popular for a while. Well, it was, it's what we had. It was the prime form of drama that we had before television and, of course, film. But I notice uh, kind of a revival going on um, in the zeitgeist out there. I think it could be with our new technology because we have this ability to podcast and isolate that um, recording. Isn't it funny that a podcast is basically a return to something like radio, which was edged out by... It is, but it's it's um, but it's on demand, which is what our consumer wants now, right? They want to find it and and, and listen to it when they want to. Exactly. Not you know waiting for it to happen on you know Sunday night radio like in the past. So I think I think there's a huge um, potential for radio drama out there. Uh, people love to listen to something when they're driving, and why not a play? Exactly. I, I know a lot of my podcasts are spoken word as opposed to you know, turning on the radio and listening to music. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, you, you did say on demand, and that brings to mind something else, the way our cultures have changed. We used to be home Sunday night at 7.30 to watch, oh, I don't know, uh, The Wonderful World of Disney or something like that, because that was the only time we could catch it. That's right. But now... We can download these these you know, episodes at any particular point, and I'm just wondering again with tradition. This is you know, what do you think this is doing to our uh, the way we time our lives and the way families congregate? This is true. I think it's, it becomes more of an individual um, 
access to to drama. Uh, I, I see people, you know, watching television on their laptops all the time. This is this is normal now, rather than in a group setting. Uh, maybe the only group settings you see now are, you know, things like Super Bowl. Right? People will congregate to watch that together, but they do their television watching sometimes. Um, binge watching, right? Like seven episodes in a in a row. Uh, as uh, as an individual on their, in their own time, on their own machine, on their own screen. Right. So I think you know we have an opportunity as radio dramatists to just jump on that and uh, and offer uh, this sort of entree into the imagination that you just cannot get with uh, film or TV. Because those visuals tell you where you are exactly and exactly what it looks like. Whereas in your imagination, it can be anything. Thank goodness for the imagination. That's right. <laughs> Let's not lose that. Uh, one last question, then I'll let you go. Um, what's the theater scene in Alberta like? Uh, we have a very active uh, theater scene. I live in Edmonton, which is home to the first Canadian Fringe Festival. It's been going on over 30 years here, and it's been an incredible educational training ground for anyone who works in theater here. Have you participated in it? I sure have, and learned so much there. And almost everyone I know in the theater business has been involved with the Fringe one way or another. We also have several professional theaters and lots of independent theaters going on. So I'd say it's pretty active. I'm actually a part of, um, you know, maybe this new wave of hearing theater through the imagination. Uh, I'm uh, part of the uh, group that organizes Script Salon, which is held the first Sunday of every month. And we read scripts, professional actors are hired, and we read in front of an audience, usually about 60 people, it's free. People can donate if they like, but everyone settles and listens up close and personal with professional actors reading professional scripts. These are all scripts by the Playwrights Guild of Canada members in Alberta. So we've been going for almost a year now, and we have no intention of stopping. We have lots of scripts. We have so much talent in this city, and people are coming to see us and hear us. That's the thing. It's staged readings. So again, the audience is listening and creating the scenes themselves in their head. So it's kind of like radio, but uh, in a group, in a sort of communal atmosphere. It's like being of, in the studio as the radio is being made. Exactly. In yeah. one take, you know, with no stops, right? Yeah. That's always the fun part. Mm-hmm. Well, Catherine Kohler, it has been a joy to speak with you today and so glad that we were able to get a chance to listen to Jane's second date. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking with you again in the future. That sounds great, George.